Welcome everyone to the mightiest podcast in the nine realms, metas, and mutants. I am Tombstone the Dead Man, and this is my fellow Avenger, Super Psy Guy. What up? What's happening, Super Psy Guy? Ah, uh, you know, catching the news and the fallout from a bunch of our uh, childhood favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are trash. People are trash, and every day they get a chance to prove it and do. <laughs> like, every yep. goddamn day. It's a shame. It is a shame. Um, Our show today, we're going to be talking about our personal origin stories as far as the first comic books we started reading. And, you and know. How we got into them and how we got everything into else. Right. Absolutely. Um, So it should make for an interesting show. Um, but before then, uh, we do have some news we want to talk about. And, um, yeah, so uh, what do you want to start with first? Uh, let's let's start with the articles here. All righty, all righty. Um, Keanu Reeves reportedly offered Craven the Hunter role. That's pretty insane. That's pretty insane. I'm here for it. I'm here for it too. Um, I don't know how well he can do an accent though, because Craven is definitely, you know, facts. But you got to think of like think about it like this. Uh, remember Scarlet Witch's accent? Yeah. <laughs> remember Natasha's accent? Like they might, <laughs> they might throw us. Well, a they, they didn't ball. really do uh, a big act, much of an accent for Natasha, but it makes <laughs> sense given that she's a professional spy. Facts. Facts. Um, and I know for the Scarlet Witch, didn't they like develop a an accent specifically for Sokovia to do that with too? Yeah, they did, and and they still wind up dropping it. Um, they still wind up dropping it because yeah. Scarlet Witch doesn't use that accent anymore, and I don't believe she's been in the United States long enough for <laughs> that accent to have just melted away. It's like it's funny that you mentioned that because by the time people listen to this podcast, um, this episode will be old. But in the recent um, episode, they referenced <laughs> the fact about her accent not being there and all of that. So it's, it's though to crazy. be fair, they've also addressed that with the fact that it's almost like it's in the sitcom reality. Because yeah, true, true, true. But in the episode really have before an that, that's like two in and Civil a half. War, though, I don't recall her having an accent. In Civil a War. little bit, but like the episode, what would have been last week's episode? So it'll be two. Two and a half weeks ago, by the time this airs, right, when she leaves the the sitcom reality hex, mm-hmm. her accent's there. I gotta watch it again because I'm so used to just looking yeah. at what she's so, doing. That I don't pay attention. Like when she leaves the WandaVision reality, mm-hmm. her accent's back. Ah, so it was one of those subtle things, but like if you notice it, you're like, okay, that's actually really good. Right, right, right. Well, we'll see. I, I want to. I'm, I'm interested in seeing if Keanu Reeves can pull that off too. Uh, the article reads: Sony Pictures has offered Keanu Reeves the role of Craven the Hunter in the Spider-Man villain's solo spinoff movie, according to a new report. Part of the Sony Pictures universe of Marvel characters, home to Tom Hardy's Venom and Jared Leto's Morbius, Craven is described as a mashup between uh, R-rated action dramas, Man on Fire, and Logan. Um, damn, that's crazy that that's a, a mashup of those two films in particular. Because uh, Man on Fire, 
That that was a Denzel Washington one, right? I haven't seen that one, but I do believe it was Denzel Washington. Yeah, he um yeah that that movie that movie very that's a very interesting I've never heard anybody else reference that before. Um, so that 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 would be extremely dark and gritty. Um, Which, but, if it's a Craven the Hunter movie, it kind of makes yeah, sense. Yeah, facts, facts, facts. Um, so it says, uh, continues, should Reeves accept the offer officially put out by Sony, ending the studio's year-long hunt, years-long hunt for its Sergei Craven off, it would mark the Matrix and John Wick franchise stars' first superhero movie role since portraying DC's John Constantine and 2005's Constantine. Um, it goes on to say Sony has made an official offer to Reeves, but the starring role in Craven is not a done deal, according to a report from Illuminati. Marvel Studios head Kevin Feige, a creative lead and producer on Sony's rebooted Spider-Man franchise set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Previously told comicbook.com, Marvel talks to Reeves almost for almost every film we make. I don't know when, if, or ever he'll join the MCU, but we very much want to figure out the right way to do it, Feige said of Reeves in a 2019 interview. Feige added Jake Gyllenhaal was approached multiple times before signing on as Mysterio in Spider-Man Far From Home. Recent rumors claim Disney-owned Marvel Studios was eyeing Reeves to lead Moon Knight as Mark Spector a role ultimately filled by Oscar Isaac in the upcoming Disney Plus series. Reeves previously told BuzzFeed he always wanted to play Wolverine, the metal-clawed mutant from the X-Men franchise who has yet to appear in the MCU. I could see that. I mean, if you're going to... They're going to have to recast Wolverine, He could play Wolverine. They're going to have to recast him at some point. He could play him. He could play him because... If Reeves wants to do it... Mm -hmm. There's a lot worse choices. I agree. Especially given that Reeves has shown he excels in roles where it's high action. High physical. Yeah, yeah, it's true. High physical and action. Mm-hmm. Especially with roles where it's high action and low speaking where you have to emote through your Facts. body. And Reeves has kind of excelled at that. Facts. Throw in the fact that Reeves is Canadian, Wolverine's Canadian. Right. Let's just go there. I'm just saying. I know, I know that's a stretch, but yeah, I mean, I mean look, let's just, it, it, let's, it, it on top of everything else, <laughs> it adds on to it. I mean, it tracks. So it, it continues. Ahead of Tom Holland's first MCU set, Spider-Man Solo in 2017, THR reported Sony was planning spinoffs for Craven and Mysterio, who would menace the wall crawler in, two, in 2019's sequel, Far From Home. When Variety asked then-Columbia Pictures president Sanford Panich about the rumored Craven movie, Panich said, he's an awesome character, let's just leave it at that. Last February, a reported casting grid uh, revealed by the Illuminati described Craven as a maniacal big game hunter, specifically um, on the hunt for Spider-Man. Sony tapped the equalizer scribe Richard Wank, or Wink, or whatever, to pen Craven. Previously, that's interesting. That's interesting. Did you see the equalizer? The one with oh yeah, yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> um, Denzel Washington. Yeah, I, I remember when I first saw that movie. I'm like, Denzel has no right being <laughs> this that good. badass. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, previously reported to pull from the famed comic book storyline, Craven's Last Hunt. In August, Sony hired Triple Frontier filmmaker J.C. 
Chandor to direct Craven. Uh, let's see. Sony next releases Venom, Let There Be Carnage, planned to open theaters on June 25th, followed by the untitled Spider-Man 3, co-produced with Marvel Studios on Disney 17. Morbius, which features the return of Michael Keaton's Spider-Man homecoming villain Adrian Toomes, is now set for January 21st, 2022. So, again, like we've told you guys numerous times, um, keep all these dates and stuff with a grain of salt. We really don't know if there'll be any delays or what's going to happen between then and there, but these are the dates that they're giving right now. So, yeah, I'm on board for uh, if, if this is the case and Keanu becomes Craven. I'm on the board for that, and I'm definitely on board for it now that the guy that wrote that penned the Equalizer, can you? That movie's going to be crazy. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm given I'm with the that. influences they want to use for it, plus who they have directing and yeah. writing it. Yeah. That, I'm, I'm, I'm all on board. Um. What's so? What's the next story? Aquaman two will reportedly have the biggest DCEU budget yet. Doesn't mean it won't suck. <laughs> I mean, it was one of the better DCEU movies, be but that's a low bar. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, it was. So, there were plenty of question marks surrounding Aquaman's chances of box office success when it was gearing up for release two years ago. When Arthur Curry, having been reduced to the butt of many a joke, mm. while the character didn't hold much cachet with general audiences. Right. Those concerns weren't eased by the Justice League debacle, alienating a huge chunk of the fan base, and James Wan's underwater epic being the first installment in the DCEU to follow in the wake of the maligned theatrical yeah, cut. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And, I mean, one day we're going to have to do a review of that movie, because I, I definitely have a few things, a few complaints about that movie. Absolutely, well. absolutely. There were some things they did great, Yeah, oh, yeah. I have yeah. a few complaints that kind of took me out of it we're definitely gonna gonna have to dive into that at some point any fears on the part of warner brothers hierarchy were quickly dispelled though when aquaman turned out to be a much bigger hit than even the most optimistic of projections could have hoped racing past a billion dollars globally to surpass the dark knight rises and become the highest grossing dc comics film ever made i didn't know that after years of watching the DCEU take itself far too seriously, the pick was a breath of fresh air that embraced the sheer stupidity of the concept and delivered an unashamedly loud and cheesy blockbuster. Thanks. Equivalent to a cinematic sugar rush. Thanks. Some fans might be threatening to boycott the sequel based on the continued involvement of Amber Heard, but insider Daniel Rickman now claims that the studio are so confident in Aquaman 2 that it will reportedly have the biggest budget of any DCEU movie yet. Hmm. The hmm. first installment came in at a hefty $200 million, and the most expensive production in the franchise's history is the Troubled Justice League, which ran up a bill of $300 million plus change. If WB is really planning on increasing Aquaman's 2's capital by at least 33%, then they better hope that the anti-herd mob doesn't stick to their guns and hit them in the pocket when the second outing arrives yeah, December 2022. Buddy. Yeah, buddy. Um, like, this anti-herd uh, thing has been building, you know. So by the time this comes out, who knows? There might be some other concerns that people are rallying about and maybe not, you know, um, too much into that anymore, but you never know. How these things tend to stick around, I guess we'll just have to, to see. 
Yeah. Yeah. We'll just have to see about that. But, you know, I mean, I like given Aquaman, the whole sorry. situation with Justice League and the abuse there. Oh, right. They may not want to. Do you really want to repeat that? Because Shit. Amber Heard accused Johnny Depp of beating her and assaulting her. Yep. And then ended up admitting that she lied to the court and that she was actually the one the who attacked Johnny Depp on multiple yep. occasions. So now you're basically saying that abuse is okay if you're pretty? See? Right. Like, right. that's... So, like, that's the basis of the movement of boycotting the movie if Amber Heard is still in there. Because she's admitted that she's an abuser. She's admitted to lying to try and get money out of Depp during the, when he filed for divorce because of her abuse. Right. Right. And yeah. So, but we're going to go a little more into the justice league thing. Yeah. In a bit. In a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the next story tops action figures reveal new costumes for characters in the Falcon and Winter soldier show. Alright, so let's see. Fans are currently in the midst of Disney's first Marvel series, WandaVision. But that hasn't halted excitement for the next series up the bet, which will be the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We've got a bit longer to wait before we can actually see it hit our television screens, but a new series from Topps Digital for Marvel Collect will make the wait just a bit easier. And will give fans their best and in some cases first look at the costumes from the anticipated show. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier costume art collection includes first looks at, at U.S. Agent and Baron Zemo, though, of course, Falcon and Winter Soldier are also part of the new set. Um, they actually we we saw their new costumes in the trailer, though. So. Yeah, you can see them in the trailer. That's true. Um, the new collection will debut a new costume card each week for the four weeks leading up to the premiere of the show on March 19th, and kicks off today with the release of Burn Zemo. These, I, I'm look as I'm looking at these pictures. Well, you know, Marvel has great designs anyway. They know what the hell they're doing. Um, up next is John F. Walker, aka U.S. Agent. This is a, really our first look at the costume for his MCU debut. We know the government is going to want Walker to step into the void left by Captain America, and you can definitely see that in Walker's costume, which features the same blue and red color scheme and star on the helmet. Now, I start went down there with that one because a lot of they don't really have that big of a description of the Falcon one because you already kind of see that in the trailer. So let's go. Um, and we saw when the soldiers in the trailer too, but. This, this might be important. Last but certainly not least is when the soldier who received a costume redesign, an impressive new arm, and even a slick new haircut for his Disney Plus debut. <laughs> I mean, the new arm, too, is like the Wakandan one, which, yeah. again, we we kind of got hints of at the end yeah. of Black Panther. Absolutely. We got it in Infinity War and all that. Absolutely. So. Um, but it's, it's the, the full debut, debut of the black, black vibranium arm. Right, right. So each card will be available in the pack store for six days for $4.99 and will give collectors 750 gems, that's premium currency, 30,000 coins, standard currency, and one guaranteed rare costume art card. That's not all that's coming from Marvel Collect, though, as another new set titled Who Will Wield the Shield will also be released in the coming weeks. 
which will include 12 cards featuring characters and shield artwork. Marvel Collect is available for free on iTunes App Store and Google Play Store. Interesting. Um, I have never really been that big of a card collector. Um, but, you know. I was, especially as a kid. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's... The cards I have, I do plan on keeping. Right, right. But I wouldn't really go out of my way to collect cards again. Even in a digital format the way that is. Right, right, right. I don't know. Because in this case, it's literally just you collect cards, it's nothing else. It's not like it's a, like a card gaming system or something like that, that you can collect cards and still play games and stuff with those cards. It's, right. Right, I don't know, man. Like I said, when I was, I think when I was a kid, I started collect. I collected baseball cards for a little while, um, and it was cool. But I don't know, man. After a while, it kind of got. I just got tired of chasing them and you know trading yeah. back and forth. Yeah, I just got tired of it. So these probably, if I still was into it, I definitely would be collecting superhero cards. That that's that's a given. That's probably what I would be collecting, but I'm just not really all let into it. Um, yeah. What's the next story? Marvel is considering a Jimmy Woo X Files style series. Now, be, see, and here we go. I, I know they there, listen no, to us. Yes, I, I know there. There's yes. plenty of other people suggesting nah, it, but they, it was us. I, I'm taking take full, full credit, credit for it. They listen to Metas and Mutants. And they're giving the fans what they want. And you know, you you guys Hopefully. are welcome. You guys are welcome for Super Saga on this show, debuting that idea and giving Kevin Feige and them content. There you go. You're welcome. And we're okay with it. We're okay we don't with even it. need the credit. Just, nope. like, just give nope. us stuff we like and we're good. That's all. That's all. That's all. So, yeah. Marvel appears to be considering the Jimmy Woo X-Files series we all want. Actor Stephen Ford revealed he will be writing the pitch for a possible X-Files-type spinoff starring WandaVision's Agent Jimmy Woo. Uh WandaVision's Agent Jimmy Woo, played by Randall Park, may actually be getting that spinoff with Darcy Lewis, played by Kat Dennings, which is exactly what I was saying. I'm just saying, dude. I'm just saying. Writer and Teen Wolf actor Stephen Ford, who originally had the idea for the spinoff, started or stated on Twitter that he will be writing the pitch. We might have actually opened some doors on my Jimmy Woo X-Files idea, he said. Can't express how much of an underdog I am in this scenario to get too excited, but cross your fingers and thanks to everyone who made it possible. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So... It, and it shows a picture of his tweet and, you know, a scene from the show. Right. And it's him saying, it's like, I'm spending the weekend writing this pitch. Hmm. It's like, there were rumors circulating about an X-Files type show featuring Agent Wu and Dar- Dr. Darcy Lewis. And while Agent Wu was introduced in the MCU's Ant-Man and the Wasp, the origins of his character start as a crime fighter in the Silver Age of comics. Interesting. And... We, we've talked about yep. that briefly, how he was in the agent of Atlas mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all that stuff. He, in fact, his uh, first appearance was in the comic Yellow Claw number one. Right. 
1956 from Atlas Comics, which later became Marvel. Right. And was the leader of the 2006 limited series Agents of Atlas, which was later revamped in 2019 as the new Agents of Atlas. Right. So, here we are. And I want to say something, too. There, I read an interview recently from Kat Dennings, who plays Darcy Lewis. Mm-hmm. And she was saying, like, you know, once Marvel gets you, you're in. That's a fact. And because <laughs> it was an interview where she was talking about, like, how a secrecy in the MCU has evolved. Because she's been around it in a supporting role. Right. Since phase one. Absolutely. So And then she was briefly in phase two and didn't have a role at all in phase three. So there was a significant gap in time there between it. So she saw a stark contrast. Right, right. And she was saying, like, when, like when they pitched her the idea of, like, appearing in WandaVision, she was like, yes, I'm in. I want to do this. It's like, if Marvel calls me, I'm saying yes. I mean, so that means uh, if this series goes through and gets green-lighted, Oh, she's, it's a go. She's, she's in. in. Yeah. But she was saying, like, pretty much upon that, they faxed her agent a, a non-disclosure agreement mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that she had to mm-hmm. sign and fax back. Mm-hmm. So, she, and that, that agreement was just saying she couldn't say that she was cast in the role until Marvel announced it. Right. And when she got there for the initial thing, she had to sign another NDA. Right. And then to go into the the script writing room they had. Right. She had to sign another NDA for that. And she was saying like in the script writing room, cause she's a lot, she's allowed to talk about certain things now. Right. And she was saying the script writing room was just wall to wall pages of comics, certain, uh, certain panels highlighted or circled certain text bubbles highlighted just wall to wall, all four walls. Wow. Of just panels for th- and all things related to what they wanted to do with WandaVision. Wow. And she said it was like as a comic fan, entering that room was just a dream. Yeah, I can imagine. So it it's definitely sounds like even if she wasn't necessarily a comic nerd when she got the role, she became she's one. she's become one. Yeah, and yeah. She, she the way she was just talking about that and like there was non-disclosure acts for everything she had to sign. So it went from like with Thor where she just signed the one. It's like okay, yeah, just don't spoil the script. The standard NDA for any film, right? To now you have. NDA things to enter script writing rooms. If you don't do that, you don't get to enter the script writing room or see anything before you start shooting it. If you don't sign the NDA, you're not to talk about to like enter the building to see the set build up. You have to sign an NDA. Like there's NDAs for literally everything now for them. Well, it makes sense. Um, And and it tracks with what they've done recently. Like, all through Phase 3, you were hearing them talk about how every movie basically had three or four scripts, yep. with only one yep. of them being a real script. Yep. Certain actors, Mark Ruffalo and Tom Holland, uh, <laughs> weren't even allowed to get their scripts until the day of shooting because they are both notorious 
They We're my, spoiling they stuff. They threw my guys under the bus with that. <laughs> and, and, in fact, they also had a lot of them film scenes that were never even intended to be in the movie mm-hmm. just so that if anything got leaked, it's like, well, you know, and they've made it well known that they film all this extra stuff that's not real scripts. Right. To the point where if anything gets leaked, it automatically casts doubt on whether that was a real scene or one of the fake scenes that they they make everybody shoot and mm-hmm. whatever else. So like they've gone all out on this. So it tracks that there's NDAs for everything. Yeah. I mean, but it, like I said, it makes Darcy, sense when you so, have a story. But Kat Dennings that, has been signing every single one because she wants to know She wants to know. Everything. That's right. And you know what? I'm, I, it makes sense because when you do, you're doing the type of um, storytelling they're doing, these things tend to intertwine with other movies and, and shows and stuff. And if you want to know that shit, you wanna, if you're down and you really are down and you want to be a part of it, you got to sign it. Give me an NDA. I'm signing. If I get the information, yeah. I'm, I'm signing it. I'm signing. So it. I mean, th- this this checks out that she would absolutely be down for a show like this. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I wouldn't hate Jimmy Woo. Like the actor himself has shown he can carry series on his own too. Yeah. Like, he has a couple of series like Fresh Off the Boat, which was a good show. That was a good show, mm-hmm. and that was a show where he primarily carried that show. Yeah. Yeah. He was also in a few other movies, including, oh, what was that one with, uh, where he basically, where he wrote a rap about punching Keanu Reeves in the face. <laughs> First of all, let me just say, that would never happen. And if it did, there'd be some supreme retaliation on Keanu's part, because Keanu Reeves, quiet as kept, will whip your ass. <laughs> oh, he yeah. will whip your oh, ass. Always be my maybe. It was in that movie where... <laughs> okay. uh, Randall Park played like the guy who wanted to be the love interest, and when she dated Keanu Reeves, he wrote a song about <laughs> punching him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Which fun fact I shared it in our Reaper Life comic book verse, but Randall Park, the actor for Jimmy Woo, he can actually rap. Turns out he spits hot pretty fire. Pretty damn good. <laughs> Turns out he spits hot like, fire. I, I saw that. I'm like, oh, oh, damn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Randall. Randall, he, he he's pretty handy with the microphone. Don't don't sleep on Randall. Now, I don't know oh, if Keanu yeah. Reeves can outrap him, but uh, swinging swinging on Reeves is not is not advisable. Oh no, <laughs> Reeves not... can, Reeves can throw down and yeah yeah. Don't don't do it to yourself. Don't don't do it to yourself. I mean, he he doesn't like to fight. That's just who Reeves is. No, he's, he's a peaceful like dude. The nicest but... guy. Yeah. But no, don't get it twisted. <laughs> but he can do it. <laughs> don't get it twisted. He will kick your ass. Um, so these are like the the stories that we had listed. But there was an unfortunate well, story. Well, there, there's technically two I wanted to talk about. Okay. One of them is brief, and that was uh, with the Mandalorian side character. Um. What was her name? Kara Dune. Yeah. uh, Played by Gina Carano. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's been fired, and there's been a lot of people talking about, like, oh, this is just cancel culture. Now, it's one... Cancel culture... Oh, you mean, what you mean, um, you mean where co- it's consequence like it, culture? Is that what you're yeah. <laughs> like, there, there are things where cancel culture, as these people use it, is real. Mm-hmm. But in this case, this isn't that. She got fired for being openly racist. 
And it's not the first time she's had incidents since being hired for The Mandalorian. Uh She has made uh, transphobic jokes, Mm -hmm. transphobic remarks. She's made plenty of racist remarks Mm -hmm. and comments Mm -hmm. going back to last year with the the BLM protest Mm -hmm. in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And I almost guarantee you Disney basically told her, smarten up or you're done. And, and uh, then a few days ago, so about a week ago when you guys hear this, she made a comment saying that uh, Republicans be, are like be, the being, Repu- being Republican in the U.S. today is the same as being Jewish during the Holocaust. And Jeez, Disney is just like, nope, you know what? You you're gotta done. Go. You got to go. It's like, it's like, that's not only incredibly wrong. <laughs> yeah, but that's also kind of anti-Semitic. Very much so. Very much but, so. And apparently, got so bad that even the talent agency that handles her for acting dropped her. Well, so yeah. it's like that, that. In this case, it isn't anything close to cancel culture. It's called you're going to be openly racist. People aren't going to hire you, dude. These are the consequences. And, and listen, hey, this is this is straight up consequences. This is consequence. Listen, let me tell you, and 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 a lot of people need to really get this in their thick skulls. Okay, the reality of the situation is no brand wants to be associated with you if you're out there in these digital streets being a shitbird. If you're out there and don't have the the, the common sense even. To realize you are attached to some, to a brand, your money, the way you make your living is attached to this. Whatever fucked up, toxic ass uh, beliefs or opinions you have, nobody's paying you to talk about that. They're paying you to be this character, that character, whatever, and push the brand. If you want to talk to your friends about that bullshit, go right ahead. But the fact that you're going on social media sites... And you are a recognizable face that's attached to a brand that services people all over the world, regardless of their ethnicity, religious background, whatever. And if they think you're going to alienate a part of their audience, they will get you the fuck out of here because you can be replaced. And you would think after all of this time, all of this time, when we've literally seen this play out several times, some people would smarten up and be like, yeah, it's not worth it to appear edgy online. It's not for what? What am I doing? Who am I doing? Who am I doing that for? And I'm going to tell yeah. you, you're not going to screw with my pockets. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, there's nowhere in the world had I gotten to a position like she did and we're getting to do all these cool fucking things and be a part of these cool universes in this IP. And then I would feel like I must go on Twitter and talk this dumb shit. I must go on Facebook and talk this dumb shit. Hey, let yeah. me let let it let it be publicly known that I have a parlor account. Dude, why? Why? Yeah. It, it's so that one is just a quick one because you know, it's one of those things that a lot of people in the comic community and superhero communities and stuff like that actively talk about. Yeah. So yeah. it's one that even though we don't talk about Star Wars as much, even though mm-hmm. there are comics. Oh, absolutely. Something that feel like we should probably 
get out there and just at least mention it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and But the other one is loosely related to the ongoing drama with Ray Fisher and Warner Brothers. And you know, we are the place that you go for all things little Ray Ray. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Specifically, his complaints against Joss Whedon. Mm, mm, mm. Now, again... The, the claims of racism towards Joss Whedon we've covered, and those don't seem to be founded in anything other than being told to say booyah, which he wasn't a fan <laughs> of. And the incident with lightning that one yeah, uh, yeah. actor's skin color, but that was also documented as a necessity because yeah, of yeah. the reshoots. Whedon shot digitally while Snyder shot on film. Right. And to because digital makes your brights brighter and your darks darker. Absolutely. In order to get a consistent thing, the the head colorist, which every single movie and T V show yep. has someone on the production team specifically for handling this kind of thing. It's true. So this is an industry standard thing and the whole thing was to just balance it out so you didn't see a scene where a reshoot happened in the middle of a scene for this one two minute clip right and have the person appear a completely different color right than the rest of the movie so that's their job was to basically reconcile that mm-hmm. so and that was, was the, the other claim, claim and again, again that, that one's been thoroughly debunked, debunked. right but Uh-oh. the claims of Whedon being a complete asshole to people on the set has been corroborated by a lot of other people, not just other actors, but a lot of other industry people who have a lot of ties to the production crew, the boom mic guys, the film guys, lighting guys, stunt doubles, set designers. People with connections to all them have all come out and said about it. Right. That, yeah, Whedon was absolutely unprofessional, abusive and all that stuff. So that part 100% believable. Yeah. And it's come out that a lot of major actors and actresses, especially actresses in this case, mm-hmm. who've done work with Whedon in the past have stepped up and talked about their experiences with him. Starting with Charisma Carpenter. Who yeah. is most known as uh, Cordelia Chase in Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the Angel spinoff. Right. She also she, did an episode of Supernatural as a witch. Just want to put that out there. Yeah. I mean, she was in the Expendables mm-hmm. uh, movie as well. She mm-hmm. was in Charmed. Like, mm-hmm. she, she's been in a lot. Right. But, like, that, that, those are the roles she was probably most known for. Right. And she came out and talked about how Whedon was actively abusive to everybody on the set of Buffy and how part of the reason she was killed off was because Whedon didn't like the fact that she got pregnant, even though she actively took all the measures, let them know as soon as they found out because you're not allowed to fire people for that kind of thing. Nope. So they straight up killed her off after suggesting, oh, well, maybe you should just abort the kid. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, to top, top that off, uh, 
Sarah Michelle Gellar, who played Buffy, didn't do a big statement, but basically said she'll be proud of being connected to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and she's proud of that role and what that series accomplished in terms of empowerment for everybody. Like, let's be honest, the show wasn't just empowering for women and also provided the first uh, lesbian kiss on yep. television. Yep. But also, like, it portrayed, like, uh, nerdy people as also being capable of saving the day and right, being right. the hero, stuff Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. But she does not want to be associated with Joss Whedon. Uh, Eliza Dushku, who plays Faith, has come out about this as well, as has uh, Michelle Trachtenberg, who played Dawn Summers. And when she was on the set, when she first got there, she was like 15 or 16 years old. Right. And she made a statement that heavily implies that there may have been sexual harassment towards her from Joss Whedon. Jeez. Saying, like, not only was it inappropriate, but it was especially inappropriate towards someone who's 15 and 16 years old. Now, she didn't outright say sexual harassment. But when you make a statement like that, especially given all the abuse yeah, yeah, claims, definitely would imply. I just, you know, I, first of all, the old saying is true. Um, don't meet where your heroes. Smoke. Also, <laughs> where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah, and it's like, I just, I look at some of these, some of, the, some of you guys have this sense of entitlement where you think you can be that type of a shit bird no matter where you are. And I'm like, yeah, it might take longer like, than it should, but eventually it'll come out. We'll I'm see. I'm going to put it out there. They actually had to make a rule on the set that Joss Whedon was not allowed to be alone. Holy with Michelle shit, Trachtenberg. Holy shit. So I'm going to say there was most definitely sexual harassment or man. possibly worse. Man. Possibly. We we can't fully say, but when you have to make a specific rule like yeah, that. Yeah, man. Yeah. There's a problem. I just, and I, then what the fuck? Amber Benson, who plays Tara on the show, mm. also made a statement about how being on that set was one of the most toxic work environments she's ever been on. Had that not just she mentioned like she came out about it, but there were others on the set who, from Joss Whedon's abuse, ended up with actual PTSD and having to go to like oh, therapy and man. everything, and still dealing with some of the fallout from that. I, you know what? And I can actually so, see that. I can see that because that being in the position they were in, as far as an actor on a, a show that's doing well, is stressful enough as it is. To have the guy that's spearheading it be this type of a dick, come and, and then at the age, oh come on, man! Like to, so, at some of these people, yeah. yeah so man. this is just really deflating. Yes, because we all wanted to see Josh Whedon in a good light, right? Yeah, like again, look at the stuff that Josh Whedon has written and produced. Like we've got a couple of Avenger movies out of it. Yeah, yeah. We've gotten Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We got Firefly. We got uh, Angel. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of good things he has done. 
that he's attached we, to. Yeah, yeah. Like we've got two Avengers movies. Surprisingly, a porn parody of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Are you shitting me? <laughs> I am not. Jeez. Uh, there have been like the Buffy the Vampire Slayer comics yeah. were all written by him as well at least the first bit of it the show Dollhouse he created the show all like all 27 episodes he wrote the story arc for one of them he wrote he directly wrote four episodes the TV miniseries Astonishing X-Men wow uh he was involved in Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Wow. You have Serenity. So it's like, there's a lot. Titan AE. Wow. A Toy Story. Mm. Uh, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. So like, the Disney cartoon Atlantis. Yeah. Uh, he was a writer on that, I believe. So it's like there's a lot of our childhood stuff. <sighs> or sorry, he wasn't the writer. He was the guy who, in charge of the story, storyboarding and all that stuff. Right. But it's like the fact that uh, there was that many things that were like are huge parts of our childhood, and then even into our adulthood is with like Agents of Shield. Yeah. Yeah. Again, still with Buffy, Justice League, Avengers, all that. And this has come out. It's you're not going to fully be able to separate it. No. Nah. As much as people are like, oh, I I can separate the work from the person. It's yeah. like to an extent, in this case, because you don't actively see him in the scene, Facts. it becomes a lot easier. But that's still going to be there. It's going to be like, oh man, it puts a stain it, on it. it it puts certain things in a different light. Yeah, it does. Because it's a certain way that we wanted to see, like, for instance, that very first Avengers movie. There is a certain light that I see this movie in and stuff that's connected to it. So when it turns out that the guy that helped bring us that is a shitbird, it ruins a piece of this. I look at the product as a whole, and that looks like a rotten piece of the product right there, the fact that he was on that bullshit. And I'm, yeah. I'm, often, I'm wondering, I'm seriously wondering, Will we hear any stories about, you know, his shitty ways on the Avengers set? Because I think he knows who to pull that shit with. Because are you really going to try to pull that with Robert Downey Jr.? Good luck. Good luck. And given how successful the MCU was up to that point, mm -hmm. even though the Avengers really helped solidify it. Yeah. At this point, I'm pretty sure Marvel would have sided with RDJ. Yeah, right, right. And then, you know, like, let's look at it. Jeremy Renner. May not necessarily be a big name, but he's not exactly a nobody either. Nope. Scarlett Johansson was already pretty big. Like, yep. Sam Jackson, Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, you're Paul not pulling Penny. that shit with Sam Jackson, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's not like, happening. That, not that's happening. one of those sets where he probably couldn't pull anything if he wanted to. Yeah, I agreed, agreed, agreed. I, you know, so so that in itself, like, listen, it would be bad all the way around 
if he was that way to everybody. But the fact that he's take he has his picks, that shows predatory behavior, yeah. man. Like, but like that whole Michelle Trachtenberg thing. Oh man, puts certain aspects of Buffy in a very different light. Right. When you take right? into account, Angel had that big thing for Buffy. Buffy was sixteen. Angel was, was fifteen like billion years, years old or something. <laughs> <laughs> like 150 yeah, years old. Yeah, then yeah. you realize he's no longer allowed it. They had to make a rule on set that he wasn't allowed in the room with a 15 year old girl on his own because of the things he did. Bananas, well, man. that puts that. Watching it as an adult, like, okay, that's already kind of in a creepy light. It is. And then that puts that in a whole different light, too. It's like, oh boy. Oh, man. Because, like, don't get me wrong, I had that same thought with pretty much any vampire movie where the dude's, like, in love with some, like, where the vampire's in love with someone who's, like, in their teens. Yeah, dude, it's creepy. It's creepy. It's It's kind of creepy. It's creepy. It's not like you were freshly turned or something like that. It's like, okay, that makes sense because you're still, like, there. Right. But you're talking, you've been alive for, like, 150, 200 years, and... She's 16. <laughs> Dude, yes. There's something, something wrong, wrong with there. that. It's something wrong. Hold on. Something wrong. Something wrong. Oh, Josh, Josh, Josh. And and now what it winds up doing is um, it, it makes Ray Ray look a lot less crazy, right? Because, again, the racism claims against Josh Whedon does not really appear to have any solid grounds. Yeah. His claims against some of the other guys involved, such as John Berg and everything, mm-hmm. I'm not sure because we haven't heard a whole lot about the results of that investigation or anything it else. It sounds like these things, if they so not... those ones may have basis, especially if he was actually told, smarten up or you'll never get a role again. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Uh, listen, let me tell you something. Once uh, you start seeing shit circling around that bowl like maybe specific things weren't true but now my mind is open to further allegations rather than just yeah. going come on dude now that's not now but yeah the know, fact that it's like jeff johns john berg those yeah guys, come on man. okay maybe there actually is something there he's an asshole again towards joss whedon there hasn't really been anything else to back it up and the two main claims against him for that are non-factors right those things aren't factors but i'm wondering if if something actually comes up outside of those Mm -hmm. i'm absolutely willing to take a look at it and be like yeah well well, even if all the stuff about whedon being an asshole didn't come out Mm -hmm. if you have actual claims and they can't be backed up by Everything else, like again, the the colorist expert or color right, 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 lead colorist, studio colors, everything there. That's not only industry standard, but it's stabilization to make things consistent, scene to scene to scene. Absolutely, even if it's shot on the same kind of thing. Absolutely, absolutely. That's one hundred percent explainable and understandable. So that claim there, you got to kind of write off is. But you but, might but not fully screw- understand how that is. But, but how he screws up is now yeah. any any further allegations you have softened me up to. Let me look into this. 
you saw yeah, some like, BF because if, you, you if know? he came out and outright was like threatening him because he was black, cool. We have something to go off of here. That's yeah. That you can't just write off from. Okay, this is why this happened. Right. No, that's just that would straight up just be racism. It's like okay, now we have to take this right. into account. Right. But what I'm saying is, now that I'm here, these stories are horrible. You sound like a horrible person. And I have, listen, I know plenty of horrible people in my life. Plenty. Uh, They usually don't have a line. It just depends on the situation. So maybe those particular situations that Lil Ray Ray was talking about weren't valid. But that don't mean that that's, that, that's his golden rule. I'm going to be a sexist predator to kids, but I, hell, I would never be racist. I don't know. I, I mean, maybe not in these cases, but... We still learning stuff about you, Mr. Whedon. We thought we knew you, but it's not looking like we And, do. I mean, there, there's kind of been rumors about him in Hollywood for a while. Really? But nothing... Like, again, there, there, there's been, there has been, even since the Buffy days, there was still a little bit of rumors. It was just nothing hmm. really came out, nothing was really corroborated, hmm. or anything else. No one really stepped up and came out. But right. now that we're actually seeing people step up and be like hey this shit isn't cool right and then all these other people are sort of seeing like yeah this happened to me these are my experiences with them everyone's stepping out and like some of those early rumors that were just that they were like one rumor here or there and quickly forgotten about because nothing ever came of it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's now coming out that all those ended up might have had something to them or were outright true. That's what I'm saying. We, we, we're, we're getting into a territory now where someone might misinterpret certain things and get that wrong, but I am not willing to Still, to still discount. right about something else. Yeah, I'm not willing to discount allegations provided I find proof and it's not stuff like, you know, what we, what we saw with, with Ray's allegations but that doesn't mean that that something else might not come out that might absolutely be in the wheelhouse of racism and now i won't be so quick to be like oh come on dude that's i'm willing to listen because this other shit i I didn't know anything about what josh being that asshole josh in my mind held a, a special place in geekdom you know and 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 this is this is bad dude it's bad it's like it's like if if i was um found to have been a thief, right? My grandmother used to say, if you lie, you steal. So that means if I'm, if I'm stealing, why would I be above lying? Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So now I need more evidence. Now I'm not just going to pawn it off. You know what I'm saying? Nah, now now yeah. I'm going to look. Like, let's, let's examine this and see if this is real. Because he to put himself in that position well, I got to look at him in that light. And I hate that he did that. I hate it. Now, of course, he doesn't know me from Adam. He doesn't. It doesn't matter to him what my perception of him is. But I will guarantee you this, my, my perception won't be alone. And when these stories start to circulate more and more and more and more and more, and they, instead of being in the undercurrent of geek information, start going on that, oh, that, that the top of the water, and more people start talking about it, a lot of people are going to be looking at you the same way. They are. They just are. Like, yeah, and the ones that would defend you would probably be the type of people that I would not really be friends with anyway. Like, so yeah, you'd, you'd really, really have, have to take, take a quick, quick 
Well, well, not a quick look, look but you'd have to definitely do a look over at them and give them... Yeah! <laughs> like, why are you defending this? Like, it's like, oh, cool. You're defending a... Not, not necessarily related to this case. Right. Like, oh, cool, you just defended a rapist? Oh, jeez. Well... What does that make you? Why, why do you... Yeah. yeah why, why do you associate with that so much that you feel like you gotta be the bullet shield? And now I'm looking at you. Either you're interested in things like that, or you see no problem with it. Yeah, and that's... Either one of those That's pretty disgusting. Not cool. <laughs> that's pretty disgusting. But, um, damn, damn, damn. Damn, Josh. Ah, boy. And he hasn't, um, so far we haven't seen any statements by him yet or anything? Not about this stuff yet. Uh, well, we will, of course... Keep you guys abreast as the as the news <laughs> comes in. Comes out. <laughs> we will keep you abreast of any statements Mr. Josh makes and any retractions anyone else makes in case you know somebody might come out and say hey, it's not I, you know I, I maybe exaggerated but we'll, we'll keep you all abreast of that because all of it is in the Ray Ray verse. <laughs> at, at this point, yeah, it's all in the Ray Ray verse. So uh, yeah, but um, that's disturbing. On so many levels. Um, yeah. But now onwards to the main topic of the episode. Our personal comic book origin stories. And listen, they might not be exactly what you might envision, right? No. Because uh, when I first started reading comics, basically I didn't even really identify them in the same vein, of course, as superhero stuff. Because um, I didn't start out reading superhero comics. When I tell you guys the comic book that I read first, like first first, you'll be shocked and possibly amazed, especially considering how big of a comic book geek, superhero lane, comic book geek that I am now. But before I do that, I'm going to give it to my man, Super Saga. All right. So, there were a handful of comics that I had access to as a kid. Mm-hmm. At Growing up, it's not like now where you can find comics, even in the form of graphic novels or whatever, in every bookstore. Every bookstore and online. Like, <laughs> online everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, to some extent, you can find them in places like Walmart and grocery stores. You can still find comics. When I was growing up, you couldn't really do that. You had to go to a comic store. Yep, yep. And, my, and while comic stores are kind of declining now, mm-hmm. my city, it's actually grown a bit. But growing up, that's because where I live, we only had two comic book stores in live, our city. Do you live in Westview? Oh, no. I wish. <laughs> I wish. It'd be better at this point. But no, it's like, where I live, we had two comic book stores in the city growing up. So I didn't get to have a lot of those things. Right. So I had access to a few hand-me-downs, like a couple from my uncle, a couple mm-hmm. that my father had. And the ones from, my, like, my father had the entire original run of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. Like, the original stuff. Yeah, the gritty so I stuff. So had, I had that. The stuff from my uncle was just a random assortment. There was some Justice League, some Superman, Batman, 
some Avengers and Spider-Man and mm-hmm. Iron Man and stuff like that. But my main source of comics mm-hmm. would have been Archie Digest, Betty and Veronica, <laughs> Jughead, those ones. And say what you will, they're still comics. Yeah, they are. And those ones were easily accessible because those di- being in digest form, they were still sold at grocery stores and right. at Walmart. So right. it was the things you were able to find with regularity. Right. So I had a massive collection of those. Mm-hmm. And I identified with Jughead a lot, so. <laughs> you don't <me>. say. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, I like food, okay? <laughs> Dude just wants to relax, hang with his friends, and eat, eat some, some food. Eat some burgers. I mean, yeah, what's and, wrong with that? And again, say what you will about him in the comics, Jughead is literally the smartest person in Riverdale. Facts. That's a fact. He just doesn't apply himself because he doesn't care about that kind of thing. And he really, he, he wears a green shirt, so I always suspected he was Loki. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> shirt wasn't green. What are you talking about? His shirt was usually red. Well, he wore a few, but like his main one was like a purple or a blue with the S on it. Oh, uh, yeah. The S stands for... Um... They Starving. never, they they never actually announced what it stood for in the comics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, now in the Riverdale TV series, it's a sign of Southside, but that TV series is definitely a dark and gritty take. Yeah, on it, it, it's re- really it, is. It, it, it really it's, is. it's a gang related thing, and in in the comics, that's not. Nah, what it is. nah, 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 nah. But they've always kept it kind of a mystery. But like he's represented Riverdale on a national level on like science stuff and math quizzes and debates and stuff. So he is that smart. Right. He's also the most athletic and strongest person in Riverdale. And this is coming from a town where Moose, who's their big typical jock Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. literally able to squeeze water from a rock. Right. And Jughead is literally stronger than him, but he doesn't question it. And that's why he actually has to eat all the time. Is it's it's been explained that if he has less than ten thousand calories a day, oh, he I... loses his brain power and he loses physical power. Wow. So he just eats constantly and nonstop and if he doesn't, he basically becomes sick. He becomes yeah, yeah. Yeah. A weak uh, he becomes weak and a dumbass. Is that, is that... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like you know I, I always kind of liked that idea as a kid it's like man this is this dude's awesome he has all these great friends he's always got like food and snacks he's relaxing he's got this big stupid lovable dog <laughs> wow wow I mean it's it's like I said actually I am not surprised that um Archie's, the Archie's was the first comic book for you. I'm not because you will find a lot of people saying that same thing, especially if you come from a certain um, generation. You'll find a lot of people say that exact same thing. Um, I started reading Archie's first or whatever. And Archie's was pretty big at, at a certain point. They were pretty oh, big. Oh, it still is, right? You know? like, yeah, so that that is not surprising. It doesn't hit that top end sales that a lot of certain Marvel comics and DC comics right. have. 
Right. But you also know that every Archie comic is going to sell a certain amount. There's a reason they don't cancel runs. Exactly. 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 And they, they do have a bit. You have the Archie, Archie and Friends, Jughead, Betty and Veronica, mm-hmm. uh, Josie and the Pussycats, mm-hmm. the two different Sabrina, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which is more of a campy style, right? and the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is a, a darker style. Right. And that goes with the shows as well. That's why the Netflix one is a darker take, is because it's based off of the Chilling Adventures, while the 90s one, the Sabrina the Teenage Witch, is all happy and campy, right. because that's what that book series that it was based off of was like. But, like, they have those seven, eight runs, but every one of them makes money for them. They, yeah. they don't lose money. They only have the eight runs, and every one of them, they know they're consistently going to sell this much. Right. But again, it, it, it's never groundbreaking, but it's also none of them are getting canceled. They're not losing Never. money. They're not losing money. And this is why, you know, that's the, this is the reason there's an Archieverse. There's an Archieverse because it is profitable. It does not lose money. No, they're not out here doing a billion dollar like like movies, movies but... and shit. But it's been around since I was a kid and I'll be 52 this year. So that lets you know that this 552. Well, I forgot a couple of zeros. But still, uh, yeah, man, like, I'm just saying, it's not like, I know people look at it and go, oh, well, it's it's silly. Listen, you can say what you like. It works, and it's still still around. (laughs) It's still around. Like, obviously, there is an audience for it. And that's what's interesting about it, because you and I um, are, are different ages and separated by by a lot of years, but that was actually one of the first comics I read, but it wasn't the first comic. Oh, no, 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 sir. That honor goes to, uh, can I get a drum roll? Shit, I don't have a <laughs> There we go. Baybar the Elephant. <laughs> oh, wow. Baybar the I, Elephant. Dude. I never saw comics for that, but I you remember the cartoon growing up? Yeah, man. Listen, this is how this is how this went. So when I was a kid, my grandmother used to babysit us while my mom went to work, and she used to frequent the um, Salvation Army places. And what was the name of the other store where people had you know stuff that they had previously used and they give to them? Um, but whatever, I forget the name of the store, but. We used to go there. She used to take us there all the time. And she would go there to get little things, odds and ends, you know, a lamp or maybe a table or even a chair. Well, it just so happened that they also had little kids' books in there. And there was a bunch of them in a box that apparently were, of course, owned by Goodwill. That's the name, Goodwill. It was a bunch of them in a box. And... You know, I had patiently been just running around with her all day long. And when we went to the Goodwill store, she was like, you know what? Go get something out out of that box. So I went over there, searched through there, and there was a Baybar comic book. Now, for me to choose Baybar, I mean, the rest of the stuff in there, I literally had (laughs) zero interest in at all, right? So I I pulled the Baybar uh, comic out. 
And she goes and, and buys it. I forget, it wasn't even expensive. It was like maybe uh, 20 cent, 10 cent, something like that. And I went home and read that thing. It was like, I was kind of engrossed in the Baybar verse. So then every time we would go back to the Goodwill or something like that, I would get another Baybar book. And okay. that was that that introduced me to the panels. You know how the way comic books had a certain Yeah. Cuz you know all of that stuff, that was the introduction to it storytelling in that format. Um after which the next one was not Archie's. Still wasn't Archie's. It was Peanuts. Charlie Brown, Snoopy, all of, yeah, I was reading yeah. those, you know, and love those. I, I wasn't day, really I still considering the, the Sunday morning comics, but mm-hmm. those are. Mm-hmm. They had they're, little comic books. Mm-hmm. They're, they're more strips rather than right. a collection of strips rather than an actual comic right. story, but they are comics. Yeah, and those that introduced me to the format. It was after that it was the Archie's which was a more uh, traditional, what we would think of now as, you know, comic book um, format. That's when I started reading Archie's, and I got into them, you know, fairly, a, a fair amount. I, I enjoyed a fair amount of those stories. Um, and it wasn't until I met a guy, a kid named Ernest. And Ernest, he had all these Spider-Man comic books. I mean, dude, it was ridiculous the amount of comic books he had. I had never seen anybody with this amount of comic books. And sure, I knew who the hell Spider-Man was. Who didn't? You know, even back then, he was very popular. But I had never read any of his comic books. It was from cartoons, you know? Yeah. You know, and... um, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Yeah, and before even that, the the 60s um, cartoon was still in reruns. So when we would come home from school... um. Right around, it's come on four o'clock in the, in the evening. So we got off at three. So I had to hustle my ass home and do all the stuff I wanted to do and needed to do so I could watch Spider Man, Spider Man, Friendly Neighborhood Spider Man. But I had never read a single comic until Ernest. I met Ernest, went over to his house, and he just had crates, milk crates, full of comics. And I remember just being over, just diving in, like, and I just and and I. At that point, I got super fascinated with that. But, but mind you, I still hadn't got to the point where I had branched out into other characters. You know, it was it was Spider-Man. Yeah. That's what I was reading at the time, Spider-Man. Um, I didn't branch out into uh, DC Comics until uh, it was a, a specific uh, book that was a graphic novel collection of a whole big story. Uh, Superman... And Spider-Man, they had blended Marvel and DC together, and this is the one with the um, this this for comic book geeks. You guys probably remember this um, this panel. There's a panel where Superman is fighting um, the Hulk, and the Hulk is hitting him as hard as he can, and he's not even yeah. budging. He's not. He's literally just. Oh, you! The first time you hit me. I wasn't prepared, but this time, now that I'm ready, no force on earth can move me. And the the harder Hawk hit him, the angrier Hawk got, the stronger he got, and he still couldn't budge him. And then and then Superman uh, initially used his super hearing to see that there was some little uh, robotic insect 
bothering him near his ear. And that's what was causing him to become enraged and, and have these, these fits of rage. And he used his super speed with his hand to reach out real fast and grab it and destroy it. And Hulk started to calm down a bit more the way he could actually communicate with him. And then he he basically turned back into the, in the banner and Superman gave him to the authorities to take care of him or whatever. But that was the first story I had read with Superman in it. I knew, of course, you know who Superman is. But I didn't. I wasn't reading those comic books. I was reading Spider Man. I was reading Spider Man. It's all about yeah. the webhead, you know. And it was a great. It was a great story because what it did is it introduced me to at least the comic book versions of these characters I already knew. You know, um, I had I had read Doctor Doom in comic books because of Spider Man, but Doctor Doom was in this comic book. I had never read a Wonder Woman comic book. Wonder Woman was in this comic book. I learned who the parasite was, that character, because he was also in in the comic book. So, um, these were early stories, and I remember getting that graphic novel and sitting my ass in the corner of um, my um, living room, and absolutely engrossed in it, reading it just for hours, just going through it, reading it, reading it, reading it, going back to certain pictures, and I think my um, detail, my love of the details of comics came from that book. Because it was so much, and the artwork was so good, especially at that time. It was really good. Glossy paper, glossy pages. It, dude, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. Definitely. Yeah. No, I will say, one of the most notable comics I remember reading as a kid mm-hmm. was a, a What If? Wow. And like this, this was an old what if, right. and it was, what if Doctor Doom had become a hero, and this is probably, probably the one that, that actually sparked my interest in Doctor Doom because it was the first one I'd read, right, with Doctor Doom in it, right, because like I had a, a smattering of comics across a bunch of different things, but. Not, not really any whole stories or anything like that. Right. It's probably a big part of why I prefer graphic novels because you're getting the whole story arc, right? Right. And growing up, I, I was always with like half of this story arc, half of this story arc, with the exception of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Right. And this one was like, what if Doctor Doom had become a hero? The premise of it was, we all know how Dr. Doom in university was roommates with Reed Richards. Right, right. Was doing an experiment in their room. Reed pointed out a flaw in it. And Doom being Doom, he's egotistical, believes no matter what, if Reed says it, you have to do the opposite. Right. And proceeded to ignore him. It blew up. He got he had a misfigured, scarred face. Got kicked out of university, went back to Latveria, took it over. And we know from there. Like, this one is, he actually listens to Reed. The experiment goes exactly as planned. They become best friends. And every year on Halloween, Dr. Doom battles Mephisto. (laughs) Damn. For the soul of his mother. Damn it. And I remember that, that that story just always stuck out for me. And it's like, yo, Dr. Doom is my man, you know? That was the one. Like, e- even though I knew he was a villain and everything else I'd read him in, he was How a villain. How old were you at that time? 
I would. Th- this comic predates me. But when I read this comic, I was like six or seven. But like, this was the one that made me love Doctor Doom as a character. Right. Interesting. Because usually, uh, most people start becoming more fans of the quote-unquote villains the older they are. Um, that That's what it was for me. I was not a fan of any villain as a kid. Screw the villains, all about the good guys. It wasn't until I got older. And uh, I want to say probably in my uh, mid-twenties, actually. Where like, I started seeing the yeah. villains differently. Like, <laughs> well, again, remember, this is the one where it's like, what if Doctor Doom was a hero, right? Yeah, true, true. That's a good point. That's a good point. So, but it still definitely uh, impacted that. And then, it's like, I just couldn't get enough of Doom after that, even if he was the villain. Because even as a kid, I didn't like Fantastic Four all that much. Same. I thought the thing was cool. I yep, thought Hugh yep, Torch was cool. Yep. But Reed I, and Susan, Reed, Reed and I wasn't Sue, interested, dude. I, just I could do without them. Yeah, I wasn't interested. So the fact that he hated Reed and it's just like, yo, man, that that's awesome. That guy sucks. <laughs> so in my head, like, Doctor Doom wasn't necessarily a villain because Reed sucks. <laughs> so. <laughs> and if someone sucks... It is okay to to be their opposition. <laughs> exactly. They absolutely suck. So anything they're doing or they're supporting or they're trying to protect must be stopped. <laughs> yeah, I think I think outside of Archie, the one I had the most issues of mm-hmm, were mm-hmm. definitely some of the X-Men. And it was it was definitely some of the newer X-Men's. Yeah. At, well, I guess at the time, but it was X-Men that I had a lot more of. and At the time, I remember Marvel had this big deal with Pizza Hut. Mm-hmm. 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 I remember that. And, like, if you ordered Pizza Hut pizza, like, a large or whatever, you got this giant-size X-Men yep. comic. I, re- I remember all else. of that. Like, I remember that. Yeah. So I had, like, a bunch of that era of X-Men comics. Because you're saying you were eating a lot of pizza. Yeah, that's what you were saying. No, I, I wasn't, though. That's the thing. Like, I wasn't, but, like, I managed to convince my parents to go there so I could get that comic. Because <laughs> I wanted that comic. You had, it had to like, have it, yeah. In the middle of it, it wasn't just a full page splash art, but in the middle of it, there was a thing where you fold it out. Right, and right, And it was, like, right. five pages long. Of a splash art of like the of black epic bird goodness. and all these guys yeah, off that. Like, yeah, it's pretty I dope. I did that comic. Pretty dope. So, the fact that I managed to get that one was just like such a huge thing. And like, again, even as a kid, I loved X. Like we had the X Men series. Like, remember that that X Men cartoon in the nineties. I was five when that came out. Yeah, dude, you know what? So yeah, this is around crazy. that time. It's yeah. that mid-90s era. So we were getting, it wasn't the OG X-Men, even though they were all there. Yeah. But we were talking like that second wave where you were getting Colossus. All new, Storm. all different. Yep, all new, all yeah, different. Colossus, yep. Storm, Wolverine, Nightcrawler. And then you still had Jean Grey, Beast, and Cyclops as main ones. It still had like, Rogue and Gambit. I mean, they even introduced Iceman in that series at some point. So, yeah, I mean... They... I mean, I- Iceman was one of the OGs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, like, you know, it's funny. Outside of Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Beast, the OG didn't play a major nope, role in that nope, series. Nope, because it, I think Iceman was, was only in there. I think Iceman was only in there for like two episodes or something like that. He wasn't even a something main member. Like that, yeah, he wasn't yeah. even a main member, you know. Damn, but it's, it's funny how, so around five years old, you were watching the X-Men um, cartoon. So was I. And literally, it was like, I was an adult. And it was the, one of the high points of my of my Saturday. Oh shit, X Men! Oh, I gotta see this, right? Oh no, I guess, I guess that series came out in '92. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would have been like three years old. So yeah, I would have been watching it around four or five a lot. Yeah, dude. And so was... I would have caught the the later parts of it. Yep, as it was coming out. Yep, and watching reruns of the earlier mm-hmm. parts. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, man, it's funny how these things bring a generation of people together. Because I was I, I had graduated five years before you started watching it. I graduated from high school, so it was like I was still watching that shit, and it was still dope, even though yeah, I knew that the comic book version of especially Wolverine was a lot grittier. But the 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 whole episodic, long form storytelling thing they did, just like the comics, dude, and it was like oh yeah, like the fact that they basically went into that whole. They did Dark Phoenix yep, Saga. They did the Dark Phoenix but Saga. They, yep. they also did uh, Apocalypse, the Age of Apocalypse. They did Age of Apocalypse too. They absolutely did. Yep. It's pretty crazy. They even did the Phalanx, um, the Phalanx invasion toward the later episodes. And the reason it's so fresh in my mind is because um my daughter has been watching all of these on Disney Plus. And I've been watching the winter while I'm down here working. And it just brings back all of these memories for how epic Saturdays were because the X-Men cartoon was on. X-Men and the Spider-Man series. It was another Spider-Man um, cartoon. Um, also on Fox. Very well done. Uh, really, really good stories that bled into other episodes. It was, it was really, really well done. And they even connected that universe to the X-Men cartoon universe through um, one of the episodes with uh, they were both beefing with this company some mega corporation that um had that was experimenting on mutants and stuff like that. So yeah. th- those things definitely like I was collecting comics at the time. I forget because my daughter's mom and I was watching the Phoenix Saga. That was our shit. <laughs> that was our yeah. shit. And Crazy. The fact that, like that entire show was based off of actual storylines. Right. Look at season five. You were talking about like the Phalanx one. Season mm-hmm. five, the last season. That was a two-part yes. uh, season opening ep- series. Yep, yep. And that was based off of a two-issue run in yep. in 94. So that actually came out probably a couple of months after mm-hmm. the actual comics did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, later on in that season, they had the Jubilee's Fairy Tale Theater, where she was telling stories to school children. Which is also um, based off based of a off comic, too. Yep. 1982's Chris Claremont, Uncanny X-Men With Kitty Pride, right? Mm-hmm. Where it was Kitty Pride mm-hmm. telling fairy tales to Ileana. Absolutely. Or Magic, as she would be known. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Old Soldiers episode, where it's like a Logan working as an operative for the Canadian military yeah. team, Captain America and the Howling Commandos, was based off of the 1990 uh, Uncanny X-Men uh, story, Madripoor Knights. Yep. 
yep. where Wolverine does that exact thing. Teams mm-hmm. up with Captain America, Howling Commandos. Mm-hmm. Again, the Dark Phoenix saga is based off of the, the actual Dark Phoenix, Dark right. Phoenix saga. And they had, to switch, they had to switch some stuff up because they didn't have all the characters in there the way they, they had yeah. them in the comic books. Like, for instance, that fight between Rogue and Gladiator, in the comic books it was Colossus and Gladiator. Yeah, and, yeah, and they you know. had Colossus in the show. He did, he did. He was in a couple. He was like three episodes. He was like in three episodes. Um, the one with Juggernaut, um, the one with um Omega Red. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He yeah. was only in a handful of episodes. Like the main cast was Cyclops, Wolverine, Rogue, Storm, Beast, Jubilee. Gambit, Jubilee, Jean Grey, and Professor X. And if I'm not mistaken, they created Morph. Um, Morph. Was it was not one of the original wrestling, but they did have some somebody in there that was similar to him, a uh, mimic. Mimic was yeah, in there. yeah. Morph was based off of mimic. Yeah, so Morph ended up being turned into. Well, Morph was based off of Changeling. Changeling, the Changeling, Changeling. Yeah, yeah. Now so, I remember. I remember. See, mimic could mimic their powers. I was name Carl Rankin. I think that was his name. He can remember their powers, so he would always he always had the powers of the original X Men: the wings, um, yeah. the, um, beast strength, um, optic blast. You know, he, he would turn into Wolverine. Turn into, yeah, yeah, Wands. yeah, yeah. He was basically a heroic mystique. Basically, basically. But yeah, like the character was originally called Changeling in the comics, and he was killed. Yep, and then was later basically re-brought back as Morph after the success of the TV show. Yeah, yep. And you know what's funny, too, because, and this is the part of it, that's the origin story thing. So I, even though I was watching those cartoons, I, I had stopped reading comics, like actively going out and, and, and getting them. And what happened is my, when my daughter was born, I was I took her I used to take her downtown, downtown Baltimore all the time. And in downtown Baltimore, there was a couple of places I would always go, no matter what business I had to take care of. There was always two places I would always go. Um I would go to uh Crazy Crazy uh what's that? Crazy John's and um which Polak Johnny's. That's what that's the original name it was Polak Johnny's. I would always go there because they used to have all the video games in there. All the video games. And I would have my daughter, she was still very little. And that little papoose type thing, carrier. I would go in there, I make sure you know she had eaten her little food or whatever, her little drunk her bottle or whatever. And I'd get in a couple of games of Mortal Kombat, <laughs> a couple of games of Mortal Kombat. I play some of the regulars that was there all the time and get it in to seem like I was getting tired or she was getting tired of being there. And then I go about my business. And the Rite Aid, there was a Rite Aid not far from that Polak Johnny's place. Man, let me tell you something. I went inside that Rite Aid one day and happened to go towards the back where they had all the magazines. And those magazines, of course, included comic books. And I saw a Spider-Man cover, and I picked it up. And just waves of nostalgia just ran over my in my brain. And I'm flipping through the pages, and I'm reading it. And I said, I'm buying this. <laughs> I'm buying this. And I go to the damn um, to the cashier and buy it, and I have not looked back ever since. That's when I no, started that... collecting them again. Yeah, no, I ended up st- I stopped reading comics for quite a while and everything. 
everything else. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, grow up. Do other things. Get in- other interests. Shit right. happens in life, you know. Right, right. And then... Oh, God, it's probably was close to seven, eight years. Maybe longer? Nine, ten years ago now. Shit. Mm. Getting old. But, uh, yeah, about ten years ago... One of my coworkers, who was a manager at the time, but I mean, I was managing too. Right. Was getting rid of some of his graphic novels and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I ended up just like, well, which ones do you got? And he gave me a list of them, and I just ended up buying a whole bunch of them off of him for like graphic novels for like $10 a pop. Right. I mean, and like, let's be honest, e- even the smaller graphic novels still go for about 20 Right, right. And, and they were all in fairly good condition like he, he had read them a couple of times type thing but that was it so it's like I'm buying them for $10 a pop where even if I bought them used I'd still be paying 15 16 a pop from somewhere else like yeah you know what whatever so I ended up getting a huge amount of them like I got uh, Civil War Tony Stark director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. Uh, that entire uh I think it was Invincible Iron Man run. Wow. That was from around that time, like all six volumes, like all graphic novels, right? And there were a few other ones I ended up grabbing as well. But it's like, yeah, and like that's when I started rereading all of them. I was like, got right back into it. And it's like, oh, man, yeah, this is awesome. Wow. And then I just kind of haven't looked back. Wow. That's crazy. Like, again, because I mean, I, I've always been a fan of comics. I've always been a fan of superhero movies and all right. this other stuff. So it wasn't necessarily a stretch to get me back into them. I just hadn't thought about buying comics again since you know I was a kid reading Archie, right? And like the few X Men and everything else I could get my hands on, but it was primarily Archie is what I could get. So that's what I read, and I just hadn't thought about buying comics since then. And now it's just so easy to get them that it's like, yeah. Yeah, I will literally spend hours. If I have time, I will, you know, spend hours uh, at my computer uh, reading, like, the new ones that either came out or the or the um, story arcs that I missed. So I have been reading them. My daughter's 23. I have been reading comic books consistently now for 23 years. But, of course, before then, I was reading them and then stopped. If I'd have kept yeah. going, I would have still been reading up until the time I was in the beginning. Uh, probably was maybe nine, eight or nine, something like that. I'd have been reading them since eight or nine. It's yeah. And you know what? There were times when I, I, of course, hid my love for comic books because where I grew up, listen, that wasn't that wasn't cool. Like that that's not something that most of my friends were into. So. I mean, they all are now. <laughs> Dude, you know what's so crazy about you saying that? Is that the ones of them that would definitely have not understood back then now hit me up all the time about comic books. What character could do. And some of these guys, some of these guys, well, let's just say back then, we was in them streets doing the dumbest stuff that we had absolutely no business doing. But we was in the oh, streets. Yeah. The, and some of these guys are fr- like some of these guys have spent quite a number of years incarcerated up until maybe about ten years ago or so. 
and they are, they will hit me up about comic books. They ask, what do you think about, oh, did this person, you think this person could beat this person? Well, I think this, all of this stuff, well, did this person really do that like he did in the movie? Or all of these things that I know for a fact that I would have got clowned about back then. About being into that, and, and clown is being generous. Yeah, oh, dude, yes, yes, absolutely. You would have had the shit kicked out of you. Absolutely, like, cause that, that's what it would have led to. They'd have ridiculed me so much about it, I'd have had to pop one, and then I'd have got popped. You know what I'm saying? So, so again, like, it's just amazing to me to see once these people got older, once the culture expanded into the movies and television shows and all of this stuff where it became acceptable for people to be kind of into it, even though that wasn't something they was into when they was a kid. It's amazing to me now. So unlike a lot of people who feel like they are gatekeepers to this shit, I'm a gatekeeper in the sense that I am the guy opening the door. Like, yo, come on in. The water's great. Like, like oh, you want to know about this? Let me, let, me, let me introduce you to this story arc. Well, let me tell you about, sit down, sit down here at the root of the learning tree and allow me to regale you of the stories of the mighty Thor. <laughs> Dude, it's it's just oh, it's amazing yeah. now. It's amazing now. It's an amazing time. Amazing time. I wouldn't trade Absolutely. it for anything. It's like man, I, I'm just loving this stuff, you know? It's like I mean, obviously. Oh well, I mean we're doing we a, it. Yeah, we're, we're doing a podcast <laughs> around it, right? Right. And right. We're, we're going on, what, like 36 weeks now? 36 weeks. So we're getting real close to a year. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, like I said before, um, the comic book stuff has given me so much. I mean, from um, a better vocabulary. Like, I literally le- looked up what certain words meant, certain words that Beast would say. Like, what the hell is he talking about? And I would go yeah. to a dictionary and look up. I'm gonna t- what, the word that that sticks out to mind, mind is elucidate. I was reading a comic where B said said something about um, someone was trying to elucidate um, something to. It's like what the fuck is elucidate? And I went and looked up. Oh, wait, like explain. Oh, all right, oh, all right. Like yeah. I've literally gotten like, better. Vocabulary I, re- I remember there was one issue where I think it was in the worst X Men ever storyline. Line from the, <laughs> the recent Secret Wars. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Beast was talking. He's like, "Oh yeah, I do this." I forget what word it was. And he's like, "And he's the guy's like, wait, wait, what?" It's like, "Oh yeah, it means I have a tendency to use complicated words <laughs> instead of simple ones." And it's like, "Oh yeah," but that's straight up what Beast does, right? That's exactly what Beast does. That's exactly what he does. But so many things out of that, like even from um, just as a as a musician, a songwriter. I have pulled from the lore um, different um, things that I might reference in a verse come from out of comic books. Like, comic book stuff has given me a lot. Like, my, my best experience in a movie theater ever happened for me during Endgame. And I've been watching movies since goddamn uh the parent the, the first parent trap movie <laughs> right oh, <laughs> right so like and and i had a there was an hour time with star wars i was there for that as a kid to enjoy that and understood the cultural relevance of it because i was there and i and and for those that are getting into star wars later on in life 
you had to be there in the 70s when that shit dropped. It literally captured the imagination all across the world. Like Star Wars. It was all about Star Wars. So I got to be a part of that and had that feeling. And I never thought I would ever have that feeling again. So sure, there's been movies that I absolutely like. Yeah, Chelsea movie that was a great movie. But just that cultural that feeling that that you're not alone in your um love for the genre because everybody's talking about it. Everybody's into it. Even the people that aren't as much into the source material as you, they're into it now. And I got that. Again, in this last 10 to 11 year period, but specifically in game, I have never felt that um, satisfied. I never felt that uh, reaffirmed in my geekdom than I did when we went to see Endgame and, and, and saw the, the, I was there in one of those crowds. You know, you go on YouTube right now, you'll find videos of people doing, they had reaction videos of certain scenes that happened in Endgame and from from all over the world, you'll hear people cheering all that. I was in one of those type of crowds where when the big stuff happened, you knew it. <laughs> like when the big stuff happened, everybody in there was on the same page with the same stuff being the relevant stuff. When when, when um, Falcon says, um, on your left, the cap, everybody in there wigged out because everyone had been watching these movies since 2008, and we knew about the Winter Soldier thing when he first met Falcon in that movie. So that line resonated. The people that's been watching this shit, all this oh, came from comic books, you know, comic books, man. The cheering that went on in that crowd when in an in Infinity War, when Thor touched down in Wakanda, the, 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 dude, the eruption, crazy. God of entrances, <laughs> dude. It was it was a it was it's it's been an amazing time, and you feel grandfathered in because you was reading these books and these stories long before it was cool to do it. So it's like, we a lot of other people will, will, will and we've seen it, we've, we've actually had conversations about gatekeepers who basically try to chase people away from the, no, absolutely not. Bring people in. Bring them in. Get them situated. Yeah. Like, and then enjoy being able to uh, have more nerds to talk to about Facts. Stuff. And live vicariously through them the first time they read, read something that you read years ago and how elated and surprised and, 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 and excited they are about that, this is your chance to relive that shit all over again through them. When they come and talk to you about it, like, yo, I just read the Phoenix Saga. I can't believe, yeah. Dude, I just read Crisis on Infinite Earth. Yeah, yeah. I just read Secret Wars. <laughs> come on like that that to me that's the part that makes all of this good and especially with endgame because um that came out on my birthday so i felt like everybody was celebrating my birthday with me because of this movie because that's why i went to go see it. i went to see it on my birthday like that was me with uh spider-man far from home mm, came out on i believe it was on my birthday or like the day before or something mm, like that mm, mm, mm. Amazing. Amazing. So that that's what I did. It's like most years 
I get mo- most years mm-hmm. a Marvel movie comes out within a week of my birthday. Wow. So it's like most years I just end up watching a movie. You know, it's like I end up watching whichever movie happens to be. Sorry, it wasn't Far From Home. It was Homecoming that came out on my birthday. Right. Like, uh, Far From Home ended up coming out like a week and a half before. So I'm pretty sure I ended up seeing it opening day. But it's like, most of these movies I end up seeing on my birthday or close enough to it as a birthday thing because... Yeah, man, it's a Marvel movie on my fucking birthday. Let's go. Let's go. And everybody's Let's talking go. about it. Everybody, dude, it's not. It, there is literally nothing. And listen, I am. Everyone tell you, I am definitely a misanthrope. Like I don't like people, <laughs> but having that where there's a bunch of people all vibing to the same thing that you're vibing to, you gotta love it. And I got all of that. From comic books and because of those early comic books i was able to introduce those things to my kids to my um nephew and nieces and completely turn them into comic book geeks as well even though they don't necessarily their favorite characters are not my favorite characters but that's because they grew into it their way i just introduced them to it you know what i'm saying so like the whole thing with uh comic books I don't regret one damn bit, and I'm probably going to go out <laughs> and read the comic books. You dig? That's just what it is. Like, I'm, I'm, I am, I've gotten way more from it than, um, than anybody can say anything negative I would have gotten from it. it, it yeah. You know, like, though I, I feel like sometimes I simultaneously exist in this reality in those realities <laughs> when I when I submerge myself into them books because I know so much about a lot of the lore and the characters and the motivations and the history even though they keep retconning history it doesn't matter like I know so much about well, it yeah you know. and, it, and it's a great way to escape you know absolutely. Like, absolutely let's be honest life isn't always good nah and sometimes <laughs> that's you just need something to uh, to we'll escape whether it. that's playing video games, reading comics, watching movies or TV, right. reading a good book, listening to music. They're all ways of escaping or coping with things. You Absolutely. Know? This is just another way to do that. This is another way and to if do you it. happen to develop a love for it to the point where it's not even, you're not even using it as an escape, but it's just something you enjoy doing all the better. It becomes even better. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I thoroughly enjoyed doing it. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, takeaways, of course, the Josh Whedon being revealed as an ass that he is. But this is probably going to be one of my favorite episodes because I love talking about back when I first started reading them because I get to go through that history all over again and like it just happened, you know. So it, it's pretty dope. Um, is there anything you're promoting this week, uh, Super Side God? Uh, not this week, no. Yeah, you're doing a lot of work in now too, so yeah, back to work. So it's a little difficult, and and we're jumping right into it. Yeah, yeah. But um, the only thing I'll, I'll promote, of course, is um, the Black Culture Geeks podcast, uh, Addie's Game Room, Rise um, Podcast, Rise, the Rise Podcast. You can see all of these uh, these um, 
podcast uh, either live streamed on YouTube, on Facebook, or on Spotify. You can find a lot of it on Spotify. Um, I think that's it for us. So 